Amen. Thank you for uh, being here again today. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 20 today, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do. We talked about who's still using actual Bibles, and, you know, I, I want my kids, do you have your Bible today, Jude? No? May does, of course. Yeah. <laughs> May, the, the, the second child. Next time, Jude, you bring your Bible, right? <laughs> today we get to look at this beautiful passage that is kind of wrapping up Paul's third missionary journey. And we saw last week, you can, oh, I don't know where my monitor's gone off to. Here it is. <laughs> Usually, Aaron wheels that out for me. Here it is. Uh, go to that map, Gabe. Uh, last week, we talked about how Paul had gone up back through Macedonia and Greece and visited Corinth, and his plan was to sail back from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem. But he couldn't do that because of a plot to kill him, so he went back through, he doubled back through Troas, where we saw a communion service last week, unlike any other. I thought about this rainy, dark, cloudy day. It's going to be really hard to stay awake in church today, but a uh, good lesson last week about staying awake spiritually. I don't really care if you fall asleep in, in big church. And today we're going to see how he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem to bring that offering to the, the mother church of First Baptist Jerusalem. So he bypassed Ephesus on his way back, and he stopped instead at Miletus. And we're going to see what happens in Miletus. It's close enough to Ephesus that he sent word to the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, to come and meet with him one last time. It had been you know, a long time since he'd been to Jerusalem, so he was in a hurry. He was trying to get there in time for the Feast of Pentecost, because you remember what happened at that Pentecost decades ago where the Holy Spirit showed up. Pentecost was now a powerful Christian holiday as well as a Jewish holiday. And what I love about this passage is how raw the emotions are in this beautiful, touching farewell address. Paul had spent three years with these people. He had invested his life into their lives to set them up as leaders of this healthy church in Ephesus, a crucial city that would be a sending city as well. So, you know, a lot of you have made a big life change where you've had to move away from a city and you had to say goodbye to friends and, and maybe family that you knew you wouldn't see for a long time. And maybe you, you drove around the block another time, another round just to say goodbye again because it's hard to, to say goodbye when you know you won't see someone for a very long time. I've told you before how I had the amazing privilege to go to Sydney, Australia for, for three summers in college um, and work with the church in Sydney. And while I was there the last summer, uh, it was after my junior year, um, I knew I wasn't going to be back for a while. In nine months, I would graduate from, from Belmont with my degree in religion, and uh, I knew that I was dating a beautiful girl who I thought I was probably going to marry. I knew that God had called me to go to seminary after graduation, so I, I kind of realized I'm, I'm not going to be able to come back for a long time. I, I would go back five years later, but it would be many, many years until I would see these folks again. And I don't know if you know this, but Australians are not very overtly emotional. They don't really show a lot of sentiment. They, they avoid anything that seems mushy or, or, or too uh, touchy-feely. And this night was different, though. The night before I was set out to fly back to uh, the States, they had set up a, a special service, a farewell service in the sanctuary. 
And some of the girls had brought tissue boxes, which is unheard of. And the praise band prepared a special song in my honor. And they, we sat down in anticipation of this song and, and they started singing Friends Are Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith. And of course, like some of the, the young guys, you know, were kind of laughing. And I was trying to be all cool and, and laugh about it. But by the time that second chorus came around, I was a puddle. I was just broken. I was weeping and, and sobbing because I love these people so much. We had become brothers and sisters, partners in advancing the kingdom throughout Sydney and the rest of the world for three whole summers. I loved these people with, with a, a really deep spiritual kind of love. The pastor there had become a spiritual father and a mentor to me who shaped my life and my ministry in indelible ways. So I knew that it was going to be the last time I would see them for a long time. You know, to read this passage this morning without the intense emotion that is at the heart of it is to miss what's going on really behind the scenes, behind the text of this passage. Paul had gathered these beloved leaders one final time to encourage, to inspire, to, to give words of affirmation and exhortation as for them to press on as the body of Christ, living and active in the important city of Ephesus. It's the only speech in the entire book of Acts that's directed to a group made up entirely of Christians. So if you're a Christian here today, here's, hear these words, hear Paul's urgent uh, emotional words to you as you seek to play your part in the body of Christ. Paul starts out by pointing to his own commitment to ministry as an example for us all to follow. He gives us four crucial aspects of his ministry. The first aspect of his ministry is a commitment to God and to God's people. Look at verses 17 to 19. Now from Miletus, Paul's sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You know, commitment means different things to different people. When I was a youth pastor at, at another church, we had a youth council made up of student leaders. Some of them, <laughs> their parents are here today. Uh, what, what we would do is it eventually became this deal where you had to apply and you had to have references and an interview to be on it. It was pretty intense. And inevitably, every year or two, we'd have maybe a, a couple of students who went through the application process. But then when we asked them to actually reach out to a student and, and to pray for them or to, to write them a card or to call them, they wouldn't do it. Or we asked them to lead a small group or something and they wouldn't do it. They, they have looked for the credentials of being on the youth council, but they weren't really interested and committed to the actual ministry of the youth council. That's not how Paul was. He was deeply committed to God and inevitably to God's people. He remained, he says here uh, in verse 18, he was committed to the Ephesian church the whole time. He loved them enough to give them tough love too. You parents know what I'm talking about, the kind of love that hurts. When my parents used to spank me, they always said, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? I get it now as a parent. Look at verse 31. Go to, Therefore, be alert. 
remembering that for three years I didn't cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. With tears, he said, guys, you got to quit doing this. <laughs> guys, you got you to get right with the Lord. You've got to confess your sin. You've got to repent. And it hurt him to say these things because he knew he was asking them a lot. He was asking them to die to themselves. But true commitment to someone means being willing to wound them out of love for their own benefit. And Paul's commitment to God was, or to God's people was a natural outgrowth, a natural progression for his commitment to God. Look at verse 19 again. 19 says that he was serving the Lord with all humility, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me. If you love God, you will love his people. If you serve God, you will serve his people. The second aspect of Paul's ministry was a commitment to sharing God's word. Look at verses 20 and 21. You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He was committed to sharing the truth of God's word. And in order to share God's word, you have to know God's word. Paul was a student of God's word, an expert in the word of God. I'll never forget uh, being a, a young youth pastor in Birmingham, and I went to a, a free youth minister's conference at the Church of Brook Hills. Rachel used to attend there uh, when she was in, in school. And Pastor David Platt was speaking at the Church of Brook Hills at this conference. And he said, our text for today comes from Romans chapter 8. And I said, oh, great. That's one of my favorite chapters. And he said, to really understand it, though, you really need to go back to Romans 7. And to really understand Romans 7, you need to go back to Romans 6. So let's just start with Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he, he continued to quote with no notes the entire first chapter of Romans from memory. And then he didn't stop. And then he said, chapter two, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And he just kept right on going. Chapter three, chapter four, all from memory. It was amazing. We all just kind of shook our heads as he just kept going and, and never took a, a breath. He never stumbled like I am over my words. He just continued to plow forward perfectly through God's word. He was so deeply committed to it that he hid his word in his heart and he had it completely memorized. Some guys got on their knees and just listened to the word of God. It was a worshipful, powerful experience. <clears throat> Is it any wonder that David Platt has had the kind of impactful ministry that has had a, a great impact on Rachel and, and me and a lot of other young ministers and older ministers as well? Of course not, because David Platt is deeply committed to knowing and sharing God's word. And not only did Paul know God's word, but he was relentless in proclaiming it. Skip to verse 27, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Even those weird passages about a kid who falls asleep in the third floor and falls out of the window. 
Even those hard passages about predestination that I don't really understand. Even those, those parts of scripture that don't line up with my own lifestyle. Even those parts of scripture that are uncomfortable to talk about or that are difficult to swallow, not just the fun parts of scripture. Jesus said, let the children come to me. That's a great passage. I love that passage. Why can't we teach that every week? The whole counsel of God, the confusing parts, the messy parts, all of it. We need the whole counsel of God as revealed in the whole scriptures in order to be wholly profitable for it to be good for us. Paul didn't preach a prosperity gospel. He didn't say, if you believe enough and send me $100, you will indeed get that new job. <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't preach a self-help gospel either. If you'll just try harder and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then add Jesus to your life, then you'll live your best life now. That's not what he preached. He preached the whole counsel of God. And verse 21 says that his major theme in the whole counsel of God was repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, is an offensive word. And Paul suffered a lot for sticking to that gospel. But that's the core of the whole counsel of God, and Paul stuck to it. In order for our teaching, in order for our message to be profitable, as he says here, then we have to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. The third aspect of Paul's exemplary ministry was his commitment that went beyond himself, that helped him to get over himself and his own life and that inward focus that our fallen nature has. Look at verse 22 to 25. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is the tearful goodbye. But Paul says in that, that tearful goodbye that his life is of no account to himself. He's resolute. He's laser focused. I can't stick around in Ephesus. I can't retire here. I got to keep going to Jerusalem and eventually to Rome and, and maybe even to Spain, the end of the world, as far as he knew. He was set on following God's call on his life. And he was going to use up every minute that he had in order to advance God's kingdom. This trip may even cost him his life. He knew that when he got to Jerusalem, it was going to be rough. He knew that the trip to Rome would probably be his last trip across the Mediterranean. He would write later to the churches in Galatia, one of my favorite verses, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a famous uh, missionary 
in the 1800s named James Calvert. He was an Englishman. He was a Methodist missionary. And he was set on going to the cannibalistic peoples, the tribes that lived on the island of Fiji he'd heard about. And as he made his first voyage over there, the ship's captain said, please don't do this. He was a humane, you know, man thinking about Calvert's young family who was with him. He said, if you go to this island, you're going to lose your life and everyone who's with you is going to lose their lives as well. To which Calvert simply replied, we died before we came. We died before we came. <laughs> Our lives are of no use to us. They're only for Jesus. We are dead to ourselves already. I love that story. Let's finish the course that God has laid out for our lives with abandonment to ourselves. If you have been crucified with Christ and raised to walk in a whole new kind of life, then your life is not your own. You were bought at a great price, as 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us. Finally, the, the fourth aspect of Paul's ministry was a commitment that produced a clear conscience in his life. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You may not know this, but sometimes, every now and then, pastors get criticized. Did you know that? We get criticized sometimes, occasionally, very rarely does it happen. But uh, I told someone today that I get emails pretty much every week saying, how dare you recklessly endanger the senior adults by opening the church? And then I get emails, how dare you live under the tyranny of the government and make us wear masks? You know, it's like, I can't, we can't win, but I'm grateful for Dr. Gregory and for Hicks, Dr. Hicks and all the advisory team that's helping us make the wisest decisions possible. And I was, I was talking with a fellow pastor recently about how I'm learning to handle criticism. And, and what I told him is, you know, I need to listen to the criticism and see if I actually did mess up, if there's some uh, truth in that criticism and learn from it, use it as constructive criticism, issue an apology if I need to, make the necessary adjustments. But if there's no credibility to that criticism. And if I've been following biblical core principles with as much energy and excellence as I can, then I need to let it go graciously. And either way, I will sleep well, knowing that my conscience is clear. That's the kind of ministry that Paul's life produced. Now Paul moves the, the focus off of his own ministry onto the Ephesians and their ministry and what they would face Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Paul gives the Ephesian elders a three-pronged vigilant approach. Be alert. And three different dangers that we need to be aware of. The first danger he tells them to be aware of is the dangers in our own heart. Look at verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to yourselves. 
you know, Ephesians at this time, the church in Ephesus was a healthy, thriving church. It was doing really well. But just a few years after this, the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, would send a letter through John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 2 to Ephesus. And what, what did he say to Ephesus? You guys have done a good job, but you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. Your hearts have gone after something else besides the gospel. Paul warns them about going after false gods. We need to be on guard against the danger in our own hearts. C.S. Lewis wrote in his letters to Malcolm, the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. <laughs> no matter how spiritually mature we may become, or how mature we think we are, we are never immune against sin. Never. Second thing that we need to be alert and aware of, Paul says we need to be on guard from outside dangers. Look at verse 29. Fierce wolves will come in among you. I'm grateful for Jeff Castleberry right now standing watch over our flock right now for the fierce wolves. He's over there right now with our security team looking out for our flock here. But that's not what Paul's talking about necessarily here, not like an active shooter situation. He's, he's talking about something even more subversive. There's so many voices that we hear daily in our lives, each clamoring for our heart's affection and our mind's attention. The competing truth claims of culture and politics, and media. They all are, are telling us that we should give our allegiance to something other than Christ. And we know that they have a way of infiltrating our churches and splitting us apart. Here, Paul's referring specifically to heretics, to, to preachers and teachers who would come in proclaiming a gospel other than salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus. There's many false prophets in our world today, and we should remain vigilant against them. Third, the, the third and final prong of our uh, alertness and on, on guard, we must be on guard against the dangers from within the flock. Look at verse 30. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, we could probably all in here name a church or two that has had some kind of division or split in it because there were some kind of tensions that were simmering under the surface and something caused them to bubble up and boil over. We need to be aware in our own flock about how Satan loves to subvert from within. He loves to, to infiltrate the flock from within because he knows how effective it is for ruining the unity and the effectiveness of that congregation. And remember that we're not talking about being scared of these things. We just need to be alert, he says. We need to be vigilant and on guard, knowing that our hearts and enemies outside and inside the church are trying to do the work of our enemy, which is to steal and kill and destroy. We need to have our eyes open to the reality of these potential pitfalls in our church and in our lives. So with Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders, he exhorts them, above all things, to live lives of grace. What a beautiful word, grace. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up 
and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Pay attention to God's grace, he says. The heart of God himself and the heart of his word is grace. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor of God on us. Wow. This is the core of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were in open rebellion against God and the things of God, he still chose us anyway and made us right with him both now and forever. Grace must therefore be at the core of all that we are and all that we do and all that we say and all that we minister. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. It's because of grace that we can be grateful even in the midst of a pandemic and that we can embrace a giving attitude no matter what. Look at verses 33 to 35. I coveted no one's silver, Paul said, or, or gold or clothing, apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That phrase is nowhere in the gospel accounts, but it's close to a lot of different sayings of Jesus and definitely something that Jesus would have said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I saw a poll recently, a Lifeway research poll uh, about uh, what voters, evangelical voters, voters who claim to believe the gospel and to follow Jesus, what issues are most important to them in a presidential candidate? What are they looking for more than anything? And their answer was no different from the rest of the world's answer. It was the economy. They wanted someone who can grow a good economy. And I get that. I want a good economy for our country. I want us to thrive and flourish, right? But, but why do I want that? Do I want that because it will help advance God's kingdom and his purposes? Or am I only concerned about my own retirement account? I need to be careful about my attitudes of my heart when it comes to everything. But why is it that we want a good economy? Let's make sure that we are voting for these things in order to advance the kingdom of God. And here's the thing with, when I start worrying about the economy, when I start worrying about my own bank accounts, I forget that God has lavished the riches of his abundant, never-ending grace on us. God's economy is not the same as our economy. There is no scarcity in God's economy. He never runs dry. He's the well that just gives. Do you know what agape love means? God is agape. What does agape mean? It means gift love that just gives, and then it gives, and then it gives again. <laughs> it never seeks to, to get in return. That's the kind of grace that we're talking about here, the grace that gives without looking to receive. And here's the thing, we can now give ourselves away. We can be cheerful, sacrificial givers because we know that it's actually a better way to live. It's a better way to live trusting in the never-ending resources of God's economy than constantly worrying and fretting about trying to scrap together more and more for me. 
That's a miserable way to live. That's where the word miser comes from. Misers, hoard. We're free to live graciously like God. Let's be cheerful givers, full of grace. Finally, we have the tearful goodbye between Paul and his beloved brothers and sisters. Yes, I think there were some sisters there as well. Look at verse 36. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul sailed off once again in order to continue giving his life away for the kingdom of God, advancing the cause of Christ in the world. He was giving the Ephesians and us one final example of how to approach life and ministry. The question for us today is, will we follow that example? Truly follow that example? Will we commit ourselves right now fully to God and therefore to God's people? Will we commit to God's word and both knowing and sharing God's word? Will we commit in a way that helps us get over ourselves and, and transcends looking out for number one, that we make God number one? Will we have the kind of commitment that leads to a clear conscience and sleeping well? Let's continue to stay vigilant as well against dangers in our hearts, dangers inside the church, dangers outside the church. Let's be alert and not sleepy spiritually. And let's do all of this by God's grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the example of Paul's life and ministry that you've given us here in, in your word. God, we thank you that you didn't abandon us to our own devices here, but that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, to pay the price that we could never pay ourselves, to take the debt that we owed upon himself, to make us right with you, to adopt us fully into your family of faith. God, I pray that you will help us to make a new commitment today, that we would renew our commitment to you and to your people, that we would commit ourselves fully to your word, to knowing it, to sharing it, that you would help us to commit in a way that gets over ourselves and gets us off of the throne of our own lives. And God, I pray that we would commit in a way that elevates you and your grace above all. God, we thank you for your abundant grace. We can never fathom it. We can never repay you for what you've poured out on us. But I pray that this morning you would inspire us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, that go boldly forward into a world that doesn't depend, <laughs> doesn't depend on a presidential election, but depends fully on your grace. Help us to remember that you are sovereign and you are good and that you are working all things together for the good of those of us who love you and are called according to your good purpose. Lord, help us to remember that you are Lord of all. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to have a song of response now. Jesus is Lord of all. Not any politician, not any political party, not any country, but Jesus is Lord of all. I hope that we'll remember that in a settled confidence that allows us to move with joy 
and with confidence and hope out through the world. As we sing this song, I invite you to commit in any way that you need to. We looked at Paul's commitment to ministry. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church, maybe you're a college student, you just want to join for the time that you're here, we can do that too. We saw one of our pharmacy students do that last week. If you need to commit to Jesus Christ as Lord of your heart and of your life for the first time, don't delay. You can do that right now by praying, God, please receive uh, my uh, confession of my sin and, and please impart your righteousness through Jesus to me. I trust in your ability to make me right with God. There's no better time to pray that prayer than right now and move from death to life by dying to yourself and being raised into a whole new kind of existence, a new way to be human. Whatever decision that you need to make today, I'm gonna be in the north foyer after the service today. Please come find me and tell me about what commitment that you've made. Maybe you're watching at home and you just wanna uh, fill out a connection card and say, I committed to this online. We'll help you walk that journey and stay accountable to hold you accountable to that commitment. Let's stand together and sing, Jesus is Lord of all.